This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks very much for joining us in the latest episode of Cafe Connect. So Cafe Connect is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. And in this series, we bring you the latest research that's been undertaken at various different part, departments at the University of Aberdeen. And you know, we'll, we'll talk to the, the people who are leading the research themselves. So today, I'm very happy to be joined by my colleague, um, Professor Keith Bender. Uh, Keith is Sire Professor of Political Economy. Is that, is that right, Keith? Uh, ju- just of economics, not political economy. Uh, ah, right. Okay. So yes, political economics is actually partly the topic that we'll be coming on to today. And um, this 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 is a really interesting podcast, which I'm, I'm very excited about, um, because it's, it's going to take in the history of the university, it's going to take in the history of political economy as a sort of discipline and look at one of the the major characters um, or figures in Aberdeen's life in the early to mid 20th century, Sir Thomas Jaffrey. Um, So there, there, I've said his name, that's that's probably quite a good starting point, Keith. So who exactly is Sir Thomas Jaffrey? Yeah, wonderful. Thank, thank you for the introduction, Chris. I'm more than happy to to talk about um, Sir Thomas. So, um, so ter- Sir Thomas, I think, is a unfor- uh, a, a forgotten figure, an unremembered figure um, in in Aberdeen's um, history, particularly in the early 20th century. Um, he was, as we I'm sure, no doubt, get uh, get to talking about. He was one of the most um, uh, fundamental businessmen, philanthropists within the city, um, the early part of the 20th century. And it, as I do more and more research it's amazing how how involved he was in so many different aspects of of both the the city's life but also the university's life no yeah absolutely and you're quite right he is he's one of these figures who occupy a, a unique pantheon of you know he was so important at the time and yet is relatively little remembered today which is a great shame considering the legacy that he has actually directly affects Aberdeen today um so I, I, it's probably worth beginning with you know Jaffrey as a surname because that's that's one of the the big surnames in the history of Aberdeen it's you know certainly in in, in my previous role where I was uh, involved in looking at the history of the city you know Jaffrey's a name that goes back certainly 16th 17th century very much associated with the estate of King's Wells they were prominent in society in Aberdeen at the time fulfilled the role of uh, provost of Aberdeen Lord provost of Aberdeen very big family in the, the Quaker tradition in Aberdeen as well are, are these the same Jaffreys or is it different or do we know <laughs> that's a great question um, and I've done a bit of research uh, on it and there's there's one strand of the research um, done by um, a, a relative of Sir Thomas um, uh, a gentleman named Stevenson Brown he's actually now in, in San Francisco in the States I actually have been in contact with him um, and he's looked back into the family tree and and he has Sir Thomas as being related to the the Jaffreys who were so fundamental in the sort of 17th century in in Aberdeen and King's Wells. Um, I've seen some other research that that says maybe there's a different branch, but um, you know it it, it wasn't a an overly common um, surname. So so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there is some um, some linkage there. Um, if anybody sort of knows and does research on this, um, I should mention too that the name changed. So um, so the 17th century Jaffreys, um, uh, the surname was A-Y, um, whereas it looks like Sir Thomas himself was the one that changed it to um, to E-Y, or, or maybe it was his father. I'm not exactly sure. I'd love to know why that was the case, but, uh, but it looks like there, there was a bit of a name change there. 
Okay, I mean, it's yeah, very, very interesting here on the, the name change, and that's something that, I, again, is a sort of common theme in the history of Aberdeen, you know, that, that kind of fluidity of spelling, well, that's certainly the case very much historically, and of course, you, you know, you, you look to the fact here that they may or may not be the, the same branch of the family, and it does become more complicated the further back you go, especially by the fact that, you know, there was a paucity of names, as you say, you know, Jaffrey was an uncommon name, but they were all Alexander Jaffrey, son of Sir Alexander Jaffrey, brother of Sir Alexander Jaffrey, cousin of, so it, it can be difficult to, to you know to disentangle exactly who's who but the point there is that Jaffrey regardless remains a, a, an important name in the history of Aberdeen and Sir Thomas Jaffrey whether from that family or a cadet branch of it or 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 even not certainly stands in the tradition where that surname is important so yes you mentioned banking his, his career was Aberdeen Savings Bank sure right so yeah. that's where that's where he sort of made his name so so Thomas Jaffrey Sir Thomas Jaffrey was born in 1861 um, in um, in in Aberdeen his his father was also named Thomas Jaffrey you were just mentioning the lineages <laughs> of names um, he was um, he was more working class um, so he was a railway inspector on the um, Great Northern Railway um, Jaffrey, Sir Thomas had um, uh, four sisters and a brother. The the brother uh, was actually a University of Aberdeen graduate. He uh, he became a, a minister in the free uh, in the free church. Had um, charges in uh, Falkirk and Edinburgh. He um, unfortunately died relatively early. Um, but uh, but but you know clearly education was an important aspect of the Jaffrey family. That said, I have no idea of where Sir Thomas was educated. There's no um, information in the in the graduate uh, roles of either the university. Um, I can look at the graduate roles at the grammar school, um, and he wasn't there, even though his brother did go. Um, but what I do know is that he did start a, a, an apprenticeship at um, actually the North of Scotland Bank, which was a, another um, relatively large bank in, in the northeast part of Scotland. Um, sort of started working himself up from a clerk, to, from a clerk to a to to an accountant, but then moved to the Aberdeen Savings Bank, which was an older, more established bank within the within the city and the surrounding area. Um, such that um, by um, 1892, he he sort of worked himself all the way up in the Aberdeen Savings Bank to become the actuary, which was really the the head person um, that that dealt with the management of of the of the bank. So effectively, the most senior position in the bank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, just just I, I always get slightly confused as to which banks which, but the, the the North of Scotland Bank that was it's in the Castlegate. It's not the Archibald Simpson building, is it the one across from it? It's the High Court. Or? That that's correct. Yes, so yeah. that was the High Court building. Um, yeah. There were. A, a lot of different branches of the Aberdeen Savings Bank, but the one um, that Sir Thomas was most um, known for was the building of a new headquarters um, on Union Terrace in 1896. And you can still see, um, if you go to Union Terrace, you can still see on the um, sort of the, the top of the building um, carved into the granite savings bank. Um, and, and that bank was designed by William Kelly, who was a very well-known architect in, in the city, um, worked a lot with the university, um, but also built um, the Union uh, Street Bridge with all the so-called Kelly's cats, all the leopards that, that are up there. Um, so, so clearly they were, they were also working in the same, um, in the same circles.
Indeed, and actually, yes, you're, you're quite right. I, I had forgotten that it says Savings Bank in that building. It's been so long since I've actually been down Union Terrace. <laughs> well, partly because, as we record, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so there's less chance to be there, fewer chances, I should say, to be there. And um, also the fact that half of it is actually closed off just now as, as Union Terrace Gardens are, are, are being developed. But yes, it is, it's, it's very clear on that there. So, yeah, that's he's, he's rolling banking, but... It, it, He's much more widely involved in the history of the town as well through philanthropy. Yes, so being the, uh, the the sort of chief operating officer, the actuary of of the largest bank in Aberdeen, and and under his um, lead, um, the Aberdeen Savings Bank became the fifth largest savings bank in the entire uh, country, um, the entire UK. Um, you know, it was a substantial role that that he had, but he clearly felt an affinity for his hometown, um, and and philanthropy, as you mentioned, was a was a huge part of of him giving back to. Um, the city that that I think he really uh, he really loved. So uh, he was involved in many many sort of smaller things. He was very involved in the Royal Horticultural Society. Um, we, he and his wife Margaret Tucher, his first wife Margaret Tuch, was um, very involved in in sort of nursing education, in um, uh, teaching um, blind kids. Um, but but his sort of major uh, philanthropic. Um, uh, activities. Um, one, he was part of, uh, in the mid-1920s, um, there were a number of hospitals around the Aberdeen area, but there was a big push to have a more centralized um, set of, of hospitals in the Forster Hill area, so what has now become um, ARI, Aberdeen Royal Infirmary. Um, and there was a big push to um, to raise money for, for this, and it was, a, it was a nationwide push, interestingly, um, for, for that. Um, the the Cowdrys um, that we know, Lord and Lady Cowdry, which are big benefactors of the city, um, were also a, a key part of that. But but um, Jaffrey and and Margaret ended up giving twenty five thousand pounds in nineteen twenty seven. And just before we came on, I did, you know, as a good economist, I did, you know, what does that mean today? Well, that means about 1.6 million pounds in today's uh, in today's money. So, you know, a substantial uh, amount of the funding um, come come came from um, Thomas Jaffrey. So, so you know, he was certainly um, very. Uh, uh, generous with his money, but he was generous with his time as well, um, and and that's probably best exemplified by his being the chairman of the Aberdeen um, Art Gallery uh, for um, over 20 years, from 1928 to 1951, and he was um, you know, absolutely central in in. Uh, building on some momentum that was already going on in in the in the art gallery, but really kind of transforming that in the early part of the 20th century um, to to make sure that it um, it, it lived up to its p potential. So there's a great quote um, by. Um, uh, Harry Townsend, who was the curator, the longtime curator of the art gallery um, at that time, and he said that um, Jaffrey moved the gallery from being a small provincial museum to become one of the leading galleries of of the kingdom, and and he really did spend a lot of time going and looking at art, um, uh, raising money for for the purchasing of art. He donated. He was himself was an art collector. Um, he had a very large house, Edge Hill House in Mill Timber, um, that had its own 
own art collection. Um, so a, a lot of pieces came from that. Um, and um, after he passed away, there was a fund uh, that uh, was also set up that's part of the art gallery um, uh, resources. And and so a lot of uh, pieces of work, have, uh, pieces of artwork have been generated through that. So again, a very fundamental um, uh, person in, in Aberdeen for one of the kind of shining jewels of, of what Aberdeen culture is about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, there's there's a number of points here. We have a podcast <laughs> should be around half an hour, so I'll try not to go into too much. But I mean, just 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 to go back to that staggering figure or the comparison to today of was it 1.6 million was the effective comparison that you used. So that that was from his own money. This was from somebody who said came from what we would maybe describe as working class, um, and then you know possibly without a formal education at the University of Aberdeen or or wherever else. But you know, through his own hard work, had yeah raised himself to that that position. I mean, that's, that's and then to give that level of money back is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, well, exactly. It would be very easy, particularly at that time, right? I mean, 1927, we're sort of getting into the you know, okay, so it's still about the Roaring Twenties, but you know, um, it is uh, a, a time when um, you know things economically are not looking so so great. But but to give that. Um, money to the to the city so that it could build a, a, a set of hospitals that that were fundamentally about maternity and children's hospitals initially and then uh, more broadly just shows the level of philanthropic um, uh, culture that that he had uh, and very much you also get a sense just or I, I get a sense when you were talking there of how, how he fitted into tradition in Aberdeen you know the, the art gallery you know one of the as you say the, the great great institutions of Aberdeen and obviously that that philanthropic thing as well that you know with these taking up subscriptions amongst the great and the goods and the successful in the city uh you know this was how major ventures were funded at the time I mean that's that's a tradition from the you know the the, the well, probably predating to the 18th century but certainly from the Victorian period onwards so you know he is he's very much in that tradition and indeed at the forefront of it so but it's not just the, the the city, it's not just town, there's also very much a relationship with Gown as well, with the University of Aberdeen. There, there is, and uh, it, it's interesting to conjecture a little bit about why there was that link, because as I said, there's no record that he ever actually attended the, the university. His brother certainly did, so there was a, there was at least a loose kind of, um there. Um, and maybe there are two ways to sort of think about it. One is that he was first appointed to court as as part of a, an advisory committee on commerce, which would make sense to have a, the maybe the leading banker in, in Aberdeen to be part of, of that. But I think there's a more fundamental thing um, as well. So so um, so this that happened in about 1924 or so. But earlier, um, the development of political economy as a, a kind of discipline had already started um, within the within the university. Interestingly, it started a little bit later in in Aberdeen than it did in the other ancient universities. So um, Edinburgh and St Andrews and Glasgow all had political economy degrees by the middle part of the 1800s, but that wasn't followed in in Aberdeen. Interestingly, what started the idea in in Aberdeen was um, for candidates for the Indian civil service exam, they needed to sit a certain number of lectures in, in political economy. And um, 
I think mostly for financial reasons, the university thought, well, we can offer um, some some of those, and uh, and 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 decided to go ahead and do that in 1901 to offer a, a series of lectures to help these candidates prepare. Now, interestingly, they didn't go out and try to hire somebody who who taught political economy. They actually um, recruit or they maybe volunteered um, or somebody volunteered. The the professor of systematic theology actually gave the first set of of lectures in political economy. Anyway, because that was a success, um, they did actually hire a lecturer in, in political economy, and they ended up broadening out the the offering to not only those who were uh, setting the civil service exam, but also importantly to bank clerks within Aberdeen. And I can't find any direct linkage, but surely Jaffrey would have known at least that some of his bank clerks were, um, were were getting educated at the university, and so I could see where he was really very interested in in that linkage so so he gets on the court with um the the um, advisory committee on commerce and then he um becomes the rector's assessor um on on the court and is is on the court from 1924 until 1937. yeah actually and, and i must put my hands up here um, in a, a previous podcast that i recorded with barney crockett the current lord provost of aberdeen i i think i i mistakenly described him as rector whereas i i, I should have said he was rector's assessor at that, that point so political economy keith i think it might be worth just just dwelling a little bit on exactly what it is that you mean by the, the, the study of or discipline of. sure yeah so political economy if you kind of go back in time um as all good economists should uh, go back to adam smith um the you know the famous 18th century um, um moral philosopher and early political economist sort of held as the father of, of modern um, political economy and, and economics. But what really, um, although he's been interpreted many different ways and The Wealth of Nations, his most famous book, has been interpreted in many ways, the, the idea of what Smith was really about was thinking about economics and economic thinking and behavior in the round, thinking about the context that um, economic behaviors and decisions um, occur at all levels, both from a very micro level to firms to governments and international um, inter interactions. Um, and that was always the tradition that, that um, economics in, in Scotland had held to, um, as well as actually in, in Ox Oxford and Cambridge as, as well. But during the latter part of the eight uh, 1800s, early 1900s, there was a split in economics um, between this kind of more holistic contextual way of thinking about economics to a much more um, mathematically oriented theory-based um, uh, type of economics called what, what has become neoclassical economics. And, and so that is, is the split. Now, neoclassical economics, interestingly, has been the kind of dominant paradigm within economics over the last um, 20 or so years. Um, although I think we're seeing a movement back to this more contextual um, idea of what political economy is about. But certainly, and if we have time, if we get into some of the different chairs, um, the, 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 this tension between political economy and economics sort of plays out through the history of the chairs. Well, indeed, and I think, yeah, that's, you're quite right. That's where we want to go now. So he establishes this, this chair of political economy at the, the university, and that's, that's um, early 1930s, is it? Is 1920, actually. So um, 1920 was the establishment of it. Um, the first chair came okay. in 1921. Okay, fair enough. So I, I guess this is it's the legacies of the, of, of the various holders of the chairs that, that would be worth, worth worth teasing out now. So there's been seven holders, seven holders yeah. of, of the chair. Ex exactly. Um, so the, the first chair was um, 
Sir Alexander Gray, um, who was uh, originally from Edinburgh, um, he was very much in that vein of political economy. Um, his interests, um, in, in, at least in terms of, of teaching and, and research, were really about economic thought and, and how people think about economics and, and the way that they try to describe um, economic um, behaviors. Um, and so he was he was quite fundamental in driving um, those those economic um, uh, dis discussions about economic thought, and, and he had one of the early um, sort of big textbooks on on uh, thought around um, ec economics. Um, there's a great quote too about him uh, after he passed away um, in the Scottish Journal of Political Economy. They gave a, a, a little uh, biography and obituary of him, but uh, the the author said um, the dismal science is altogether livelier and more vivid habitation for those of us who knew um, Sir uh, Sir Alexander. So, so he clearly um, was influential um, in, in his teaching and, and research. The other interesting thing about Alexander Gray is um, he may be more popularly known in Scotland for his poetry. He was quite um, uh, the poet, both um, writing in English and Scots and interestingly Doric as well, although um, Dundonian uh, Doric, because that's where he was from, um, uh, but also translating um, various dramatic um, poems in, into English and, and Doric as well. And his most famous poem, Scotland, um, the most famous stanza of that is actually on the side of the Edinburgh Park um as as well so um so clearly has had both an influence on both economics but also popular culture um within within scotland you see he was appointed in 1921 you've got some fairly major economic developments happening <laughs> quite soon after this is Exactly, and and um, he, he certainly with the I guess two things clearly the the Great Depression and uh, and and World War well I guess the coming out of World War One. Um, there's also the rise of communism, and and he has some very interesting um, thoughts uh, about um, socialism and and um, comparing it to um, other forms of of economic. Um, uh, how you set up an economy um, and what what you regulate and what you don't. Um, so he was quite uh, influential in in thinking about how economies should be set up um, at, at those you know as you say very kind of tumultuous times in terms of the economy. Yeah. Sorry, I, I jumped in there. You were... <laughs> no, that that's absolutely fine. Um, so the, the next chair then, um, after um, Gray left to go take up a chair at, at Edinburgh, was a, a gentleman named Lindley Fraser. Um, so he was an Oxford. He he was um, from Scotland, but Oxford um, educated. Um, he also um, was uh, well. He was educated in the classics, not so much in economics. But but it was interested in economics. But this idea of rhetoric and uh, and and economics were sort of key to him too. So he was also um, very much interested in economic thought and uh, and and how economists kind of express themselves, the language that economists use. Now. Like uh, Sir Alexander Gray, beyond just this fundamental um, discussion within economics, he's known outside of economics for a very sp uh, specific thing. Because of his linguistics background, he was fluent in German, and so he was seconded during World War II um, to go down to the BBC and be part of the German language sort of propaganda arm of the BBC and uh, and excelled at, at doing that. Um, and, and there are stories about um, how um, Germans who were not 
particularly, um, you know, uh, for the cause of, of, of what Hitler and Nazism was trying to do, um, really relied on, on hearing this um, soft-spoken um, but very uh, articulate um, German voice coming over. Um, so interestingly, he fell in love with this and he ended up staying down in, in, um, in London working for the BBC uh, and, and really thinking a lot about propaganda and rhetoric and, and doing all those things that he was really interested in. Okay, yeah, I mean, it helps just highlight the fact, again, I mean, as you say, political economy itself is about context, but how these chairs and the discipline and the people who study and, and the researchers themselves never exist in a vacuum. They're always part and parcel of society in, in so many different myriad, you know, myriad ways, you know, and that, that kind of neatly underlines that point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the next chair um, was a, a person that had been around at Aberdeen for a long time, um, Henry Hamilton. He was actually an economic historian, so again, this idea of the context um, being important. Um, but he was the one that really um, pushed forward political economy. It was still a small department at that uh, uh, prior to Hamilton coming along, but um, because he was um, quite a good administrator and worked his way up through the, the university um, hierarchy, um, he was able to, to obtain a lot of resources in order to, to expand um, the department, um, to, to add multiple lecturers and researchers, um, again, to do a lot um, with respect to building the, um, the framework by which now we see a, a much larger um, a lot, much larger, larger department. Um, he was followed then by Max Gaskin, um, who um, was uh, uh, actually famous before he became an economist. He was a decorated um, war veteran from World War II. He he flew um, in bombers um, over over Europe, um, but but he was maybe the first of the. Um, more neoclassical leaning uh, kind of economist. So, so while he was quite interested in policy, um, his research was more um, more along those lines of, of thinking quite um, mathematically and, ma uh, and 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 quite specifically. Now, he started off doing research on banking, which Jaffrey would have no doubt been very very happy with. But his sort of claim to fame um, was really he was here during the time of the North Sea oil discoveries, and so he was the first one to write um, one. Of the um, central um, sort of thought pieces about what oil might mean to to not only Scotland in general, but the northeast of Scotland in in particular. So the Gaskin report is is quite a famous piece um, written that that really kind of kickstarted this um, this research and interest that um, that that we all have <laughs> in, in in energy um, over, over the last forty years. So yeah, that's that's a fair point because I was about to say with the appointment of the was Max the fourth holder. Um, he was, yeah. Um, you know, I, I wanted to put it in that context of you know what what sort of decades had we reached. So it's clearly the nineteen seventies. Is that yeah? yeah. And yep. it's interesting then that he's he's more towards the theoretical side, almost just just in the cusp of Thatcher, a very different age as well. Which I think it's fair to say maybe relies more in the the the, the theory as well. Well, exactly, and it was during his um, tenure as the Jaffrey Chair um, that that the department followed many other departments. So we we weren't alone, but moving from a department of political economy to a department of economics, which was much more of the the trend um, at that point, because more and more the, the the discipline was moving away from the contextual and to the the theory and the applied theory that that neoclassical economics is is known for. Um, 
After uh, uh, Max Gaskin, um, we had a series of really two um, Jaffrey chairs who were much more focused um, less on, again, the broad context and much more about labor market economics. Um, interestingly, there was a big, big shift during that time. So Peter Sloan was a longtime um, uh, Jaffrey chair. He was also, um, again, very uh, influential within the university, had served on court and was a vice principal for a long time. Um, he was both a labor economist and, interestingly, a, a, an early adopter of sports economics, um, and the, um, the European Sport Economics Association last year named their, um, named their prize after um, Professor Sloan, um, so very influential um, with, with in, in those areas of labor economics and, uh, and sports economics. And then Tim Barmby followed uh, Professor Sloan um, for about 14 years, uh, again, uh, very much a, a labor economist, although interestingly, towards the end of his career, I think he started broadening out more. He, he developed a, um, right after the, the Quinton centenary, the 500th anniversary of the university, um, the, the university put on a whole series of interdisciplinary modules, and, and he developed one that was called the Health and Wealth of Nations, so thinking very broadly about what does it mean, what, what does wealth of nations actually mean more than just the cash, the, the, the money that the society has. Um, and he's, he's developed a whole um, uh, research program on on economic history and thinking about labor contracts in a in a historical sense. So so um, you start to see the pendulum starting to shift back a little bit with with Professor Barmby, and then the most recent chair, Professor Cathy Montagna, the, um, the the first woman chair of, of the Jaffrey chair, first first chair female chair in economics um, here at the university. Um, she has kept that pendulum going. Um, while while she's interested in labor market issues, she's really interested in the context in which those labor market interactions between workers and firms are influenced by the broader context of both the decisions the governments make about um, welfare policies and that kind of thing, but also importantly, how trade and globalization impacts all of that. So again, moving back to that really big context uh, of, of thinking about economic interactions. Yeah, and, and just as you mentioned, global there, I mean, it was playing through my mind, Amazon, um, you know, the, the, the huge multinational firms which exist almost divorced from government in a, a sense, you know, and, and yeah, there must be a, a, a real response to this now as well. Exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah. well, I, you know, half an hour goes so quickly, Keith, <laughs> and I, that's a fantastic introduction to, you know, Sir Thomas Jaffrey, as you say, you know, a figure who we should pay more attention to, partly because of his establishment of the Chair of Political Economy, partly because of his philanthropy towards Aberdeen Royal Infirmary and the art gallery legacies of which we, we we see today. Actually, one of the other legacies that we can physically go and see and touch today we never quite touched on was the, the Elphinstone Memorial, which is outside um, King's College Chapel. Um, there's there's probably a whole podcast to be had about the memorial as of itself. Um, but it's been fascinating. Thank you very much. Um, now, normally in pre-pandemic times in the cafe, we would encourage question and answer from the audience. And, and we still encourage that in a, a virtual sense. So if you have a question, um, please email us at peru at abdn.ac.uk. So that's P-E-R-U at abdn.ac.uk. And we will happily forward that on. But in the meantime, Keith, thanks very much. Thank you very much. We really enjoyed it. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.